Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a podcast about all things geek. Despite the saying, every once in a while, a leopard can change its spots. Today, we're looking at bad guys who have seen the light, villains who have become heroes. As always, we'd love it if you support the show by hitting that subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we are talking supervillain face turns, bad guys who have become good guys, or sort of good guys. So let's get into it. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. I'm Tommy Smithereens. I'm Clifton. Okay, so for those uh, non-wrestling fans out there, what I mean by supervillain face turns is, in, in wrestling speak, you have the good guy wrestler that's what's called as the baby face, right? So they're the good guys, they're the Hulk Hogan in, in the 80s and everything, and then they're, you're bad guys are called the heels. So generally, anytime when one switches to the other side, it's called a face turn or a heel turn. So Hogan, when he joined the NWO and turned bad, that was a heel turn, right? And then when he turned back into a good guy, that was a face turn. So that's what we're talking about. Supervillains turning good, face turn. All right, so who's got one? I got one. And this comes off of some research that I've been doing a few weeks ago for our uh, Why We Love the Marvel Universe episode. I started researching the early days of Marvel, and, and since then, I just kept reading to see what happened in those early days after Marvel Comics number one. And the one I'm bringing up is Namor, yeah. which is possibly the earliest supervillain <laughs> face turn in comics. Probably. I'm not positive about that, but it would have to be because it happens four issues into his run. Wow. So it oh, happens. Yeah, it happens in Marvel Comics Mystery or Marvel Mystery Comics was what it became after Marvel Comics number one became Marvel Mystery Comics. And then issue number four is when he stops fighting America and starts fighting the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Okay, yeah. And this was in uh, 1940 by that time, I think. I think early 1940, because his first appearance huh. was at the uh, end of 1939. So America is clearly not in the war at this point right. in time. So right. Marvel was really like eager to portray some, some Nazis getting punched. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> lead the way. <laughs> yep. And uh, the setup in the issue is that he's been terrorizing New York for a few issues now. And, and like, they clearly put him in New York. They put him in Central Park. He's hiding out in the lagoon. He's down at the battery. He terrorizes some rich people on the Upper East Side. <laughs> uh, and then the cops set him up with a, a female cop because he tried to kidnap a woman in an earlier issue. So they're like, maybe we can trap him with another... <laughs> Like hot woman. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so they set him up with a cop as bait to pretend she needs help and Steve will kidnap her. But anyway, she convinces him that maybe Americans aren't all bad and, and that he should help the British fight the Nazis. But she points out that that's not America's position. <laughs> like it's oh, really? just personally. Yeah. She's just personally because she was of British descent that she uh... thought it was the right thing to do. So it was funny the politics they had to wow. play back then. But uh, yeah, so that was his face turn. Four issues in, he starts fighting the Nazis. It doesn't stick, though. No. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. Like, he, he goes back also. Yeah. Not yeah. long after that, the, uh, the police still try to arrest him once he gets back to New York. And he's upset because he's like, like, wait, I thought I was doing like the right thing this time by fighting the Nazis. And so he turns back against the Americans. And then that leads to the... Uh, the big fight in Marvel Mystery Comics number eight. Human Torch versus Submariner. Ah, okay. Okay. Fire versus water. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. when and when he pops back up in Fantastic Four, he's a bit of a foil also. Yeah. So. And Twenty years later. Yeah. He is <laughs> he is what uh what they call in the wrestling business a tweener. He goes back and forth. <laughs> is that what they call it? Yeah. That's what they call it? <laughs> We're learning all sorts of lingo. I'm shocked how much wrestling lingo is coming up in this episode, but secretly I'm I'm over the moon how much it's coming up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Neighbor's a good one. That's a good choice. Yeah, no. Because you have him, for a while you have him, you know, as a, as a foil for the Fantastic Four, and it's all Johnny's fault for, you know, finding him in a flop house and breaking him out of his stupor. but. You know, and then he's he's you know a villain, and he's kind of you know he's he's doing villainous stuff, and like he's even like with teamed up with Doom in in uh, super villain team up. They have their right, own right. book for a while. Was that in the seventies? Yeah, it's like I think like seventy six, seventy seven around that yeah. part. 
So, but and it's and then eventually he goes on. I mean, but the funny thing is, is they had that book, and then right around the same time, they have Invaders, which basically is all about him and Cap and the original Human Torch and what they right. were up to during World War II, where he's still a hero. So, and th- those think- issues did happen back in the day in the Young Allies comics. Okay, that's where they like they did team up in World War II. Right. So it's one of those things where it's kind of a weird that you that weird dichotomy of, you know, they wanted it like obviously they saw the potential in the character to be to be both, you know, either a hero, villain, or anti hero. But yeah, it's 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 a good choice, I think, Namor right out of the shoot. Yeah. And he's got mileage, he's still going strong. Yep. Yeah. He'll absolutely. he'll go even stronger once they put him in the movies. So. <laughs> right. Oh right. my goodness. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could also throw Black Adam into that because we were talking in, in another episode that like Namor and Black Adam, there's similarities there besides the pointy ears, mm-hmm. right? But they're both they're both sort of the the back and forth kind of the the anti hero, uh, good guy, bad guy, depending on situation, depending on who they're up against. That's not my pick. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing them out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. but to me, it's more like an, an agenda, almost. You know, right. for both those people, they're both dictators. It just depends on. Who upsets them on who they're willing to back up? That's all I right. see. Is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, that's like that's again getting back to Nemor. They, I mean, there's an early issue where he teams up with Doom against the Fantastic Four, and then realizes, you know, he teams up with the Hulk and Avengers. Same thing where they basically are like, I'll take on the Avengers, I'll take on the Fantastic Four, and then realizes, you know, I, either I don't want to be part of a villainous team or I don't think this is for me. But you know, depending on the situation, he'll team up with who he needs to to get it done. So yeah. yeah. Or he, or whether he stops, you know, losing once he yeah <laughs> stops liking that the too. Yeah, but I have a pick. Okay. Uh, the one I was quite thinking of was um, I was thinking of X Men and Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Rogue. Uh, yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah, Rogue. Rogue. I think he's been with X Men so long. Some people forget that she used to be part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and yeah. raised by um, Mystique and Destiny. And yep. Destiny, yeah, and Destiny. It was over a given amount of time. I think it wasn't until X Men One Seventy, in which she can't take. Well, what happens over time is the be- the nature of her power is every time she touches somebody, she absorbs not only their power, but their thoughts, their history, their psyche, and sometimes their nobility. Which which happened with um, I believe um, God, what's his name? The Space Knight, Rom. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it, it kind of uh, that was the deciding factor. I thought that pushed it to the side of the hero, but um, at one point, I think in X Men One Seventy, Mastermind kind of messes with her a bit in order to push her over the edge for um, not completely going with um, Destiny and uh, Mystique's plans, which she then um, begs for help to get all these minds and um, thoughts in her head. But no, I, I, I take that back. It was um, her battle with then Ms. Marvel. Which yeah. is now known as Captain Marvel, right? In which she takes her flight, her vulnerability, and leaves Ms. Um, Marvel damn near vegetable. That she finally comes over to the X Men and been part and becomes part of them, and has never looked back since. Yeah, she she's one of my favorites. She's absolutely she's one of my favorite in, in the X Men books for sure. I mean, but she's some of my favorite characters in comics in general. But yeah, I was gonna say you you brought up that like you kind of forget that she's a bad guy, and I completely forget she's a bad guy because like when I was introduced to X-Men, she was already had been a good guy for years. And that was just kind of like a thing you would pop that would pop up in editor's notes. It would pop up in like episodes of the, of the cartoon and things like that, that at one point she was a bad guy, but like, right. but it wasn't something I, I ever encountered. When right. I she first already, she already had long hair by the time you, you were introduced. Yeah. To her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. had short hair when she was a villain. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But yeah, it is actually is- something that I think the cartoon X-Men evolution does well is that they do introduce her as sort of as the brotherhood as part of the bad guy, like, like camp for a little bit. And they do play with that for a few episodes until she makes the jump, which I do like, that's an underrated cartoon, I think. And I think, I think her portrayal is one of the things that really sticks out in that show. Yeah. I enjoy that one a lot. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that her first appearance isn't even an X-Men book. Yeah, it's, it's an Avengers it. annual 10. Yeah. Right. Which was written by Claremont. Right. It is. Yeah. It's one of the things where it's weird that she, you know, she's introduced there. And, and, and one of the things that I thought that I always thought was weird about Rogue is the fact that she, she is with the Brotherhood and then she does make that shift where, you know, she changes over to Xavier's because she can't handle, at first, it's, you know, the idea that she's going to try and get a handle on her powers, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. That's the yeah, initially, they, yes. Yeah. She wants to come to him and be like, 
uh, help me out with the fact that I can't handle with all the stuff that's going on in my head and my powers. And the idea that early on, like she's portrayed, you know, she's her depiction is much more of an older person. And then she gets kind of de-aged once she gets to the X-Men because she's looks like she's a person like in her thirties. Like she looks almost near middle age when she's first introduced. And then, <laughs> right. and then they, they roll her back to being like in her twenties when she's with the X-Men, which I've always thought was kind of an odd choice. And it might've yeah. been just Paul, you know, Paul Smith who was on the book at the time or I'm trying to think comes after Paul Smith. It might've been Ramita jr. But I think, I think it was cause Ramita was on around like X-Men 190. Yeah. So a lot of what we know is like quote unquote classic rogue is now <laughs> nothing like, you know, the, the character looked much older when she first got introduced. So I think it's one of the things where it's kind of an odd, a, an odd choice. And like, like Tommy was saying, the thing with Miss Marvel was, those last two issues or last couple issues never really came out. Like I only found this out recently and that they never came out where, cause in my mind it was always, um, I remember like, well, I knew about this going in that she had Miss Marvel's powers or Captain Marvel's powers, but really those two issues don't get produced fully that the scripts by Claremont don't get produced later on to like in Marvel superheroes, which is an anthology where you actually finally get to see that the, those two issues drawn. And it's kind of interesting because in my mind, I'm like, I remember this clearly of seeing the scene where she takes her powers, but it had never been produced when I had read it. So uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I didn't know that. To me, I always, I always recall it was like in San Francisco on the Golden Gate Bridge where she battles him and where she right. fights um, Ms. Marvel at the time and where she takes her powers and then she like literally dumps her like a bag of trash after she, she takes her. Mm-hmm. I mean, you literally see uh, Ms. Marvel like at her knees and at um, Rogue's mercy, right. just holding and just like draining her dry of every ounce of who she was, you know. Well, I think I think what they did was they did, you know, they um, what they did was they flashed back to scenes of things we hadn't seen before. Okay. And then it was from that script or Claremont used that script or whatever the, the stuff that he had already written, but it wasn't actually produced till later on. So okay, okay. But I, the other thing is, like you you brought you brought up, like I think her second or third appearance after Annual Ten, the Avengers Annual, is like you said, it was Rom, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that did have a lot to do with the fact that she did, you know, she she starts to have this moment of like, well, you know, there are better people in the world. There are some people that don't want to necessarily be awful, and he's one of them. Where you know, it's like the idea that that's you know that's an odd place because again, it's one of, it's you know when I think about Rom, I love that run because Bill Mantlo did some amazing work on a character that was really just a toy that was brought in the Marvel universe, but that, and like you said, the thing with Ms. Marvel definitely drove her towards the X mansion. Let me, let me ask you guys a question about her because you guys were, were with her from the beginning, basically. And like, was the stuff between her and Magneto, um, like romantically, which kind of like flares up in comics from time to time, like, you know, like age of apocalypse is, is like really, um, a big example of that one. Like, is that hinted at early on? Like, where does that come from? Where does that start? No, I didn't, I don't, I didn't recall that until they actually pushed it in age of apocalypse. I'm trying to recall any type of romantic liaison, even when he, when he, yeah. Frank, can you think of anything specifically? There's a Jim Lee issue when Jim Lee is like first on the book and it's the, it's the, when they're, she's in the savage land. Yeah. And I know it's, it's one She's of like in a where, loincloth, right? I'm picturing yeah, the cover. You talking about the um, <laughs> yeah. Zaladay Kazar one? Yeah, that's it. Like that's around that time because there's a, there's an issue again. That's a time where that might be the flashback where they deal with all the Miss Marvel stuff because there's got a cover of like a zombified Miss Marvel and they're fighting on the cover, and then the other cover is like her, like arm in arm with Magneto, and she's wearing that um, like you said, like a loincloth type looking yeah, costume, like in like Nick Fury's like like at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's or it. something, that's right? A, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to put those covers up on on the website <laughs> when we put the episode up. But yeah, those that's where I know it's it, it's sort of like they had a moment or two into the Savage Land, and then from that point on, it's like stolen glances kind of a right. thing where it never you know because re- I mean that's the thing about Rogue is that she really for the longest time really couldn't be with anybody because she would absorb their memories and their powers and all that stuff. Why she never threw on an inhibitor collar, I don't know, but um, you know that's one of those things where they they play they like to play that to the hilt of her of her being in her. Of her you know, her situation. So, yeah, I never got that either too. We're like, there's no story of, of her having a collar yeah. or something, but I mean, but there, there is, there is a nice like tragedy to, to the, to her character that like, that mm-hmm. she can't be close to anybody. And I, and I did like, like I was like that dynamic to, between her and Gambit for a while. We're like, sure. They were clearly into each other. They were clearly like in love with each other. They just couldn't do anything about it. You know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where, again, it's, um, I, I mean, I like that aspect of the character, but it didn't, you know, when you've introduced that MacGuffin of like, well, there's inhibitor collars, you know, we, yes. they get used, they get used, <laughs> they get used on us when we go to like, what was it? Uh, Genosha. Yeah, Genosha. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. there's that sort of thing. So, well, I, I just don't understand why it wasn't produced, especially after Days of Future Past, in which you see a future where they're clearly being used against them, you yeah. know, or, or mm-hmm. they're actually wearing it in a state of, um, being, you know, being controlled by sentinels or things of that, things of mm. that nature. Right. Okay. No, she's a good one. I love Rogue. Yeah, it's a good choice. Love, love Rogue. Okay, so Frank, you're up. Um, I was thinking about this, and and, and the thing about it that I found was I found a ton of Marvel ones. <laughs> like there was ones, you know, the the characters in Marvel were constantly flipping and switching. And for me, my earliest and probably my favorite one is Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. thought of that one too. Because, you know, because when Hawkeye first gets introduced in, um, I think it's Tales of Suspense 50, I want to say it's 52 or 57. I can't remember exactly. But he's, you know, he takes on Iron Man, <laughs> you know. Right. And it's one of those things where he's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's a stretch. But at the same time, they make it plausible. Stan does a good job. I think it's Stan Lee and, and I think Don Hex on the art. But makes to make it plausible that he could theoretically take on Iron Man and I think there might be one more issue with him and Black Widow doing the same thing before he signs the flip. So it's one of those, you know, I mean Hawkeye starts off as a bad guy, but he's not really a bad guy. But still it's a you know, it's a turn. You know, right. like his his origin, if I remember right, is that he tries to be a hero mm-hmm. and gets misunderstood, like right out yeah. of the gate and turns into like a fugitive on the run. Yeah. And is kind of like forced into being a villain and then just kind of goes with it for a bit. Right. With Black Widow. Yeah, and they flesh him out even more. They say that you know he co- he's he's kind of a carny and he's not above, you know, swindling people for you know to get their you know get their money, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> you know he he's basically that you know he works at like a circus or a fair or whatever. Right. And he's that guy. He's that guy with the you know we're standing there while you're trying to put water in a clown's mouth. That's <laughs> right. that's that's Clint Barton, right? And then he becomes Hate Hawkeyes. Those people. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those situations. So. You know, I mean, I always, I thought Hawkeye to me is like, and again, it gets, it gets magnified. And this is where I had a moment of like, I didn't want to make all three of these my choices, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, I think it opens it up for us to debate or talk about is the fact that once you get to like Avengers 16, like you have, you know, the original group was Cap and Iron Man and Thor and and Ant-Man and Wasp and then Giant Man. But once you get to 16 and they make that first roster change, or I'm sorry, the Hulk was there too, but Hulk only lasts like issue two. When you get to like 16, it's, it's like that's the beginning of Cap's kooky quartet, right? And that's all villain. That's all heel turns at that point. It's Cap and Hawkeye and then Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Right. Yeah. So so that was kind of like my segue into, you know, what do we think about, the, you know, because for a while, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is is partly, you know, Scarlet Witch and, and, and Quicksilver. So. Right. What I appreciate is that when you get into the Age of Ultron for the MCU, I liked it for a moment they do address the fact that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were bad guys. And they try and give you like, like a little bit of a serving of that before mm-hmm. they, they make a face turn too, right in the movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that too. I like the idea that, you know, we get just a touch of it since we, at that point, uh, Marvel didn't have Fox or the rights to use Magneto. And then as far as they'd gone in the comics, they'd gone with the, the Axis miniseries. Where basically they said, you know, and at one point Marvel went as far in the Axis miniseries to basically say, well, no, after years and years of them being Magneto's kids, they were no longer Magneto's kids. But, right. I, you know, I'm guessing if we, we'll have to see what happens with WandaVision. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> whether yeah, or not now that all the rights are restored. Sure. Whether or not we're going to get some, you know, we're going to get to start to put our toe back in the water of, yeah, your dad's actually <laughs> this master magnetism Magneto. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I, for me, it's interesting the idea of at the time that Stan would have been like, hey, we have these really cool characters that aren't necessarily good guys, quote unquote, right. that are willing to join the Avengers, like our, our premier superhero team, yeah. you know. And I think it was like 10 years ago when they did a, a what the one shot being what the is Marvel's like comedy, mm-hmm. like parody comic right. series they put out from time to time. And I think this issue had some stuff in it from uh, Brian Michael Bendis, and this might have been one of his segments, was like imagining if there were internet message boards around <laughs> right. that time in comics, 
Right. And it was just like all the comments about people upset that, you know, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants were now joining the <laughs> Avengers. Sure. <laughs> like, can you imagine like the hate that would have gotten now then? Right. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. And it's not yeah. only them, because yeah, it's like it's them, it's Hawkeye, it's Black Widow, who started as an Iron Man villain in Tales of yeah. Suspense fifty two. Yeah. Oh, it is fifty two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so out of this cluster that we're talking about though, like all of them, except for one, they all fit in that category too of like of you know, good guys that were once bad guys, and I kind of forget that they're bad guys at any point. And right. the one that kind of sticks out to me that, that, that I don't have any trouble remembering, though, is Quicksilver. Right. And I think I think that opens up an interesting, uh, possibly an interesting talk about like like the character, like the, the truth of the character and, and and their voice and how that impacts our perception of, of where they stand. Because basically, I'm saying Quicksilver is a jerk at times. Yeah, very it's much a so. lot easier. It's a lot easier to remember him as a bad guy. Sure. Right. Then Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, th I mean, there's there's a that there's a famous issue of uh, X Factor that Peter David did, where it's examinations, I believe is the name of the issue. But it's one of those things where he talks about at that point, it's like the team of uh, it's uh, Wolfsbane and Havoc and Polaris and Strong Guy and uh, Quicksilver. Right. That's pretty much your group. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Jamie Maddox. Yeah. And they're basically it's a it's a moment where they're all being like you know they're all having a moment with their psychiatrist that has been brought in to talk to them about their issues and they explain that you know the reason why quicksilver says you know you know he's talking about why you know basically the question is why are you such a jerk and quicksilver's response is you know that moment when you're at the atm and the person in front of you is basically like acting like they've never used an atm before and they're taking forever and you're just wanting them to finish up and hurry up and get done he's like that's my entire life every moment of every day <laughs> Right? Oh, cool. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for people to get it, get, you know, go because I can go so fast and they can't. And that makes me, you know, I'm irritated as a result. I think that's part of it. I think also the fact that, you know, he's got, you know, a lot of, you know, early on Magneto treats everyone around him like they're, you know, the dumbest person in the room. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of like backhanding toad and that kind of stuff and talking down to Scarlet Witch and talking down to Quicksilver. And I think a lot of that, his problem is the idea of, you know, this guy was a tyrant to me. I was part of his, you know, I was part of his group and he never acknowledges that he's my father for decades, basically, right. you know? And I think that, you know, that is another reason what informs him as a character, the fact that he's such an arrogant jerk all the time. Yeah. You wow, know? though. No, I, 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 did, I like that ATM analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Wow. You just sold me on Quicksilver because <laughs> I never really liked him. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's always such a knob. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, that's what I like about him is the fact that he's, you know, he's when he's a, when he's doing heroic stuff, he's an a-hole. And when he's doing, you know, he's a bad guy, he's an a-hole. So he's pretty consistent. I, it's one of the things where I never I always thought that Quicksilver deserved more of a spotlight. Like I thought there more could be done with him. I thought he could almost be Namor lever, a Namor level type character. Right. Because he's got the hair things that look like pointy ears. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. But just the idea that, you know, it's one of those things where I think that there's a lot to, you know, to tap into with him as a character because it just seems like, you know, he's he's heir to royalty, I guess, of being, you know, when your dad is Magneto, you know, everyone expects big things out of you. And a lot of times he just sort of like lives in his shadow and I never really understood why, why, he did, why they didn't try to step him out of that. Right. But I don't, I never really saw like, I mean, that's a great take that Peter David took on him with X Factor, but. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about it that deeply. I just felt he never had a swagger to him. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. for example, let's take Wolverine. Right. Wolverine came into the Marvel Universe as a villain attacking the Hulk. But you can mm -hmm. argue to say that uh, attacking the Hulk doesn't really make you a villain. Right. But right. he's a bit of a, okay. a but he's a bit of a tool or a knob in the beginning of his um, stretch into the X appearance of the X Men. But he has a swagger to him. Something right. that you um can't exactly, you know, gravitate away from, even though he's being a jerk to damn near everyone on group except, well, even hell, even Gene yeah. Gray, somebody he um, finds himself attracted to. There's there's yeah. a presence to him. There's a charisma that the character has. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Quicksilver never had that presence. I mean, he was played as a tool that just, you know, I don't stink, you know, you just walk into a <laughs> room, gets it right. done, and that's it. Um, I'm I'm more surprised that Marvel didn't market him more, being that the great success uh, DC had with the Flash. Yeah. You never really get that type of um, 
imagery with Quicksilver, even to a point that he gets taken off the Brother of Evil Mutants um, at one mm. point, um, deals with the Avengers, but he's never the star of the Avengers, you know? He no, never, that's he's what I'm never, saying. Mm. He, never gets, he never gets pushed to the forefront. Usually he's, I mean, early on in those early books, it's, you know, uh, like we, we talked about when we talked about our Love of the Marvel Universe episodes, everyone's sort of squawking on everybody, except for like in this, in the Avengers setup, with, except for Cap. Like it's a lot of, Hawkeye's always challenging Captain America's whatever he's telling him, you know, and then, then Captain America's having to basically tell him Look, son, I've been around since World War II. You're going to listen. And Quicksilver is kind of like we're here, but he still has a lot. But it's kind of like Hawkeye takes that role of being the challenge to authority, and Quicksilver sort of gets lost. No, he does. Even Hawkeye yeah. even gets the um, what's it called, the leader of the West Coast Avengers, right? Yeah, at one point. No, you're right. He definitely mm-hmm. he definitely gets lost in the shuffle as far as um that um those accolades go as far as the character. But Quicksilver is one of those characters that sort of like, and, and Scarlet Witch does too, kind of goes back and forth every once in a while, dips, dips back into villainy or, you know, dips back into being like, at one point, like during, again, you brought up West Coast Avengers, there's, an, there's when, when Burns on the book and it's around the time of, um, if you don't know this, the Vision and Scarlet Witch have two kids, you know, and then it's revealed in, in West Coast Avengers that, that the kid that she thought she had was just basically the fact that she bent reality and changed everything. And the effect that it has on her causes her to go back to being, quote unquote, evil. So, um, I mean, it's, it's heady stuff because you have to, you know, think about the fact that, you know, she basically, you know, she's a mutant and he's a, an android. And how does that work with them having kids? But they do have kids for a while. Um, and then they don't bring them back until like Young Avengers, right? Right. Mm. So, it's one of those things where for a while, like, both she and Quicksilver, Quicksilver at some point decides, I've had enough of being a hero, I'm going to go back to being a villain, and it doesn't work out well. So, they both kind of go back and forth. Hawkeye, I think, is the only one that really is like, nah, I've gone to this side, I'm stuck with this side. I may skirt, you know, what, quote, unquote, a good guy would do, <laughs> but there's never a point where he pulls out and says, ah, I'm going back to being a bad guy, or being a villain. Right. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna throw Mystique into the into the pot for a second here. Um, I'm talking okay. from the movies specifically because okay. once Jennifer Lawrence gets a gets a hold of the character and <laughs> right. and she kind of um she kind of like blows up and becomes like a big a big star like while she's playing the character, right? Like her right. career gets huge over the course of of these X-Men movies. Right, because right. Hunger Games is happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing that happens with Mystique because if you look like like the originals with like the Re- Rebecca Romaine and everything, like she's used in cool ways, but she's not given the characterization like the arc that she gets in Days of Future Past into Apocalypse and, and Dark Phoenix especially. And it's just kind of an it like like in some way she's kind of painted, I think, the way that Xavier is supposed to be thought of. Right. We're like, she, mm-hmm. she's like really like regarded like all the younger mutants around her, like right. really regard her as like, like this really important figure in the movement, you yes. know? Oh yeah. They definitely, I mean, that's one of the things where even by the, you know, it's kind of like, even by like the last couple, you know, I remember seeing stuff on, on, uh, in various places of people posting and saying, well, you know, are we ever going to get away from the idea that <laughs> mystique is such a big deal? Yeah. You know, because in the, you know, in the comics, you know, she doesn't ever, you know, you she's always a character that you have to watch out for, but not like, you know, you have her on a team and you have to know full well that she's got your back. It's usually like, no, she's around and we may have an alliance, but I don't trust her. You know, she's never, ever switched, you know, she's never made that face turn and been like, okay, I'm cool with being, you know, I'm, I'm going to show up at the mansion and be, you know, around for softball games and Christmas parties. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. No, you're right. It, it's, she was always played in the comics as being duplicitous. She's only yeah. on there for her agenda. The, right. the fact that they leaned so heavy to that in the movies was just awkward for the diehard fans that saw it occur. To me, it felt like she was just replacing Cyclops as that titular leadership hero that mm. it was missing. Right. Well, it's because they, they needed a character because it took place at an earlier period of time. And it was one of those things we're watching X Men First Class where I was like, oh, this is a weird choice. Like that her and Charles are like semi adoptive siblings from. <laughs> you know, early on. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I'm like, no, but like, I like this dynamic. Like they're pulling it off somehow, even though it's something I never thought I would want or expected. But like, mm-hmm. I, I did, uh, I did find some appeal in it. Yeah, no, me too. And, and, and I thought that there was some fun 
uh, dichotomy placed in there too. We're like, like who, like wh- whose ideals does she align with? Is it Xavier? Is it Magneto's? Right. And I like the kind of like push pull in philosophies. I mean, at times it can, it can look like they're just fighting over a girl. Right. You know, which, which I think is a little unfortunate, but, but like, but when it comes down to like, what does she believe? I think that that's an interesting dynamic for that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the fact that it starts, that's what I was going to say. The fact that it starts that she's connected to Xavier, like right from the get go, yeah. I think does, does give her a bent to kind of go bad and then kind of come back around again. Yeah. Right. So yeah, a lot of Marvel ones, a lot of yeah, Marvel ones saying. in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Somebody yeah. throw out a DC one. Yeah. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Oh no, no. I'll, okay, I'll throw I'll throw DC one out because I have a question about him. Okay. Uh, Sinestro. Sure. Is is there? Is it just in his backstory that he was a Green Lantern at some point, or was he introduced in the comics as a Green Lantern, and then did we see the turn? Um, I'm pretty sure he's introduced. It's one of those things where I'm pretty sure he's introduced as his his. His classic Silver Age, like purple, like like challenge of the Super Friends, blue and purple costume, right? Yeah, like the and jester the, outfit. Yeah, kind of like the jester outfit. Yeah, and he he's got a yellow ring, and it's kind of like I think it's hinted. I don't know for sure because I I don't remember at this point. I could have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's hinted at the fact that yeah, he was once a Green Lantern that had you know he ran Korrigar with you know an Iron Fist, and then that when the Guardians like basically like found out that he's He's doing this. They basically take care of him, and then he goes to the antimatter universe and finds the ring with the Weber's cord, and then comes back and he's a bit of thorn in the in the side of the the, the Lantern Corps and, and uh, the Guardians ever since. It's I know in the miniseries when they did Emerald Dawn, when it was the when was it the early what was that early nineties? Uh, yeah, it might be late eighties, early nineties. Okay. I know the it's the it's it's Jim Owsley, but it was Christopher Priest, and then Mark D. Bright did the art, I believe. Okay, but. They set up the idea kind of like what we got in, you know, in the in the animated Green Lantern, the training day one. Basically, uh, first flight. Yes, yeah, first thank flight. You. Mm-hmm. Where basically it's, you know, you get to see firsthand what Korrigar was like under Sinestro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, you know, that you know, there was no, you know, there was no law above Sinestro's law, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I think it's one of those things where I think it's more of a, the writers came along after the fact, but I'm not certain. Like we'd have to check that out. Cause I don't know for sure. I mean, cause I could picture his first appearance in my head. I could picture the cover and you're right. Like he does have the, 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 like the, the black in the blue kind of like, mm. like jestery looking mm-hmm. <laughs> costume. Right. So it's not like, it's not like he had like the yellow lantern look like right from the get go. But yeah, I, I, I suspected that it was probably something that was added later on mm-hmm. all along, but I think he's an interesting one. Too, because I, I think I think that people are attracted to the to to the turn for him, right? But but right. in the other way, right? I think people th- there there are moments where he kind of comes off as a good guy, but I think people are more attracted to just telling the story where he turns bad over and over and over again because <laughs> I think they kind of see like a Darth Vader in him. Kind, yeah, kind of. You know, no, I just think. Well, to me, I just feel the character goes into a straight fascist type of way of dealing with things you know yeah it's like uh the control is good but too much control is evil yeah like what sinestro's first appearance was in green lantern 7 in 1961 our engineer just put that up yeah he was introduced as a villain him being a green lantern is part of his backstory but we don't get to see the turn but it reminds me of another character that falls in that category in a way uh, i would say almost anti-hero at one point i'm not sure if it's straight villain but it's catwoman Okay. Right. Like, when did Batman's love make him make her a hero? I mean, right, <laughs> right. Because it's not really pronounced, but their affair is sort of she like, like what'd you say? What was that wrestling term that you said? He's she's a um. Oh, she's she's a tweener. She's a tweener because we yeah. don't know what side she's going to be on, depending on if it benefits her or not. Okay. Oh no, she's a. I hadn't considered her. She's an interesting one too because she's she was on my list for sure. Oh really? Because she oh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll sit back. I'll let you go. But like she she's she's a love interest character too, which right. which is which is interesting. That may that that also opens up to a whole different uh, um, path of storytelling. So uh, before we get off of Sinestro, I'm looking at I'm looking at a panel from from uh, number seven from sixty one, and it says um, this is one of the guardians talking. It says one of the supplicants whom 
He had refused to help uh, demonstrate it with him, charged him with a lack of goodwill. It's like one of the people of Korgar coming to Sinestro, and Sinestro's in a, in a Green Lantern outfit, like in the costume, mask, and everything. Right. And the guy says to him, you are no champion of justice. We heard Green Lantern would crush evil when it threatened us, but instead you have become power mad. And Sinestro jumps up from his chair and is like, you dare? <laughs> then <Right>. it says, <laughs> uh, with one burst of his ring, the Korriganian Green Lantern struck the speaker unconscious. And then it says, someone's in the, in the background is like, for shame, Kimon was unarmed and helpless. And then, of course, you get the typical Sinestro. He says, silence of all of you will get the same treatment. I'm Green Lantern. No one can tell me what to do. Right. Okay. So I guess you do get to see him be in the costume and switch. I thought that was more of a modern, a modern take, but no, I guess you do. Okay. Quick. So I mean, I have sure. realized that I went the other way with Sinestro, but but I mean, the point where, like, right around um, Blackest Night, where where the ending of that and and the kickoff to Brightest Day and everything like that, he was teetering yeah. on becoming like this the, the person that was going to save the universe. Mm-hmm. And there and there were there were like, uh, like musings that he might make a face turn on this sure. point. I don't quite remember what happened with it. Like, like, you know, I mean, my, my sense to me is that I think he's just too valuable a character as a bad guy. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, if you go, we talked about it in the, in the, in the DC episode and the fact that DC was much more willing to give villains their own book. And then you have the, you're, you know, you have that moment of his reader. where like, well, I'm rooting for this person, but clearly this person's a villain. Sinestro, you know, Sinestro definitely has a code you know, his way of doing things and, you know, Sinestro's, you know, can be very ruthless. I think it's one of those things where, you know, it, it depends on, you know, I, I just think, like you said, he may have more value as being a villain, but I think it's just one of those things where, I mean, he definitely would be, in my opinion, much more of an anti-hero, right. even though he's, he's played a lot of the time as a straight up villain. Yeah, no, he is. But I, 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 I brought up Darth Vader, but he's kind of the perfect example, I think, because he also has had that trajectory of like started off as a good guy, became bad guy, and then and then redeemed, mm-hmm. right? And I think, I think that maybe that's what's alluring about Sinestro is that like, is there a moment where like he was considered the greatest Green Lantern and everything, and then he makes this turn? And is there a moment where he can sort of like be coaxed back into the into the light? Dare I say, air quote? Sorry, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. But no, but I just see well, Sinestro. I think he's more of a characterization of him is. He rather um, rule in hell than to serve in heaven. That's why I yeah, see him as a person. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. to have him listen to other people and do their bidding, even for the greater good, is something that the character doesn't seem fitting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, generally yeah. his his attitude is, I you know, I'm glad I'm glad you're telling me this, but I know better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. No, he's a great character. I love Sinestro. Uh, well, anyway, too. so okay, so Catwoman. Yeah, because it's one of those things where, I mean, for the longest time, you know, Catwoman is is straight up Captain, you know, capital V villain, you know, doing, hmm. pulling off cat-themed crimes, you yeah. know, st- stealing Julie, stuff. Julie Newmar threatens to kill Robin all the time. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was, but that's a funny, but that was, I was going to say, um, say it was the fact that he, she never really, like, that was the thing with, with Batman. I remember it, like, early on, it stuck with me was the idea of, like, well, yeah, she's a bad guy, but she didn't kill people. You hmm. know what I mean? Like, that was her thing of, you know, that was a line that she didn't cross. So therefore she got a different, you know, didn't hurt that she was Catwoman and, you know, Batman was into her, mm. but, but it was also one of those things where she just didn't get the same kind of, like she never ended up in Arkham, you know, in, you know, even though she could see, you could argue that she's cat obsessed or whatever, right. you know, there's something going on there, you know, but it was never, you know, she never had the same treatment, but I remember distinctly in like the late seventies, early eighties, there was this push of, you know, the idea of, you know, can't she quote unquote go straight, mm. you know, and she starts to like, you know, more and more of the stories are, are you know, she's either helping Batman or like there's one with the, uh, it's what I can't remember the t- what the title is, but it's, it's basically where she teams up with Robin against Batman, basically behind Batman's back mm. kind of a thing. And they work together, which is an interesting, interesting dynamic. And then they all come together in the end of the story. You're talking about the animated series? No, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about the comics. Oh, okay. Because Damian says mimics that with Nightwing, where he sort of like, yeah, you're right. Cat, yeah, Catwoman sort of strikes a deal with Nightwing to make him feel like he's, um, she's helping him, but she turns villainous. Yeah, as a result mm-hmm. of good it. episode. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. You scratch my back. That's the one you're talking about. That's that the one. That's that Nightwing's one. like his first appearance as Nightwing. Yeah. I remember in that show. Yeah, and then there's of course Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where she starts off as a villain, partnered up with the Penguin, but. It sort of goes south towards the end, and she comes out as a hero. 
Yeah. But I think it's I think it's one of those things where her character, like I said, there's a, there's a push, you know, like Mercy comes back into Bruce's life, and it's it's a question of well, is she going to, you know, is she basically going to put a costume on and, and do the right thing, or is she going to cut out, put a costume on and you know, steal the 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 leopard's eye or whatever the you know whatever the MacGuffin <laughs> is, you know, whatever the deal is for that issue, what is she going to go take this thing? But eventually, like you know, you start to get it starts to become more and more of a situation where she becomes. And less of an anti-hero to actually like doing heroic stuff and definitely buy her own, you know, buy her own book and buy her own way. Like with the, uh, is it Brubaker and, and Darwin? Yeah. Is that, they, they do that book. Mm-hmm. And then um, at that, from that point on, she's pretty much been played as a hero. She's not been played so much as a villain, you know, for the most part, you know, there's not really that, that role that she gets cast in anymore. Yeah. She's she's the one that I remember like as a kid because you know you grow up on on Adam West Batman and everything like she was a bad guy in my yeah. head and then I remember like when I started getting in the comics and then that was when she started getting her own series and this and that and I'm like what's going on like like is she a good guy now what's going on but she she's never completely made the jump in my head like I still remember the days of her as a supervillain even though I think really in the comics she's basically a hero now right. for the most part. Right. Almost like all but a hero at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, definitely. But like I said there's always been that distinction for me. Like again, the, just the idea of you know, there's never going to be a point. And then it's even like one of those things where I guess it's toward it's after uh, one year later when Holly, when her sidekick or her you know her her friend Holly's been Catwoman for a little bit, and they have mm-hmm. to deal with Black Mask again of like whether they're going to cross the line of what they're how they're going to deal with them or not. You know, she yeah. pretty much again doesn't cross any sort of lines into killing people, but it's definitely a question of well, what are we going to do when we get there, kind of a thing. Right. But yeah, Catwoman is a good one. Yeah, like she was, yeah, like she was, de- she was definitely on my list. So yeah, Clifton, you got another one. One I was thinking of for DC is is one where I think it was like we thought for Sinestra, where I think it's somebody who has being a bad guy in their origin, but we beyond their origin issue. It's never really seen, and that's Plastic Man. Yep. Who yeah. started yep. as a crook. And and that is his introduction. In his first appearance, he is a crook pulling a heist that gets double-crossed and left behind by his, his gang that leaves. And that's how he gets his powers, was something went wrong in their heist. But I don't know if we ever see him as a villain much beyond that. But he does have... He did start as a, as a crook. There's only... The only thing that I know of like that I can reference... Uh, Clifton is there's an issue of, I think it's Mark Wade's Justice League, mm-hmm. when, it's brought, when, when it's him and Brian Hitch. At one point, the the league gets split up, like they're they're basically their good and bad side. It's kind of a Silver Age story, okay. but they get split up, and you get a moment of him being like I think he like he he pistol whips somebody as as eel. <laughs> like it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty like for being like Plastic Man. Usually, Plastic Man's play, especially in that time when Morrison's running, as well as in um. In Mark Way's run, he's kind of goofy and silly plastic man that we know. But at one point, right. they're split, and you get to see him as Eel, and Eel's pretty intimidating. Oh wow! You know, he's not—he's <laughs> not a fun character at all. So <laughs> right. that's—that's that's one of the few places I can remember that he gets to you know play into that side. Because okay. normally, it's just kind of like, nah, he's a goofball. Right. Like that can be anything after that. So, but Frank, I have a question about one particular DC character that I sort of figured he did a heel turn, but I—I I never knew the history of the character, and that's okay. Shade. Oh, the the, the Starman villain? shade, yeah, the, the villain. Starman shade. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you could. It's one of those things where, for the long, I mean, in in Robinson's run for sure, they you know because in the in the in the early Silver Age stuff when it's kind of like when he's taking on Jay and Barry, you know, Jay Garrick and you know uh, Barry Allen, the two Flashes, the you know gold, the the Golden Age and the Silver Age Flash, he's definitely a villain. Like they definitely play him, and it's not. And Robinson's the one that comes along and plays up the idea that he's immortal. He's been around since the time of Oscar Wilde, and yeah. And it's not until they get to what I, what was supposed to be kind of a what if for the character, but there's a Starman annual about the legends of the dead earth in which he helps out the, like helps the Legion. Okay. Like he, so basically like after a th- another a thousand years, he becomes more and more altruistic. If you read a lot of the journal entries of the shade, like he talks about the fact that, you know, depending on his mood, he's going to basically be, you know, good or bad. seems like, even though. He really enjoyed his time with Jay Garrick because Jay Garrick really knew how to throw a punch. Like he really respects Jay Garrick as a character. <laughs> okay. And then you had the whole thing. Remember with the spider, the archer? Yes, I do. Yeah. Where you, yeah. Where you find out that where the the spider, you know, spoiler alert, the spoiler, uh, the the spider 
isn't really a good guy. He's really like from a family of villains, but he's pretending to be a hero when actually mm-hmm. he's ripping people off. So that's, I mean, it's one of the things where that's where that comes into play. Cause before that he's played up pretty much as a straight up, like, you know, mustache twirling villain beyond that part before the part that it gets in Robinson's run. Cause even then, like when they did new 52, they gave him his own like mini series where it was like basically it's a 12 issue miniseries that just focuses primarily on the shade. And then during Robinson's run, there's a four issue miniseries that, that basically, like I said, recounts all the stuff with Jay Garrick and the spider and all that stuff. So. Okay. Let me ask you about Deathstroke though. I mean, do you think he's made the turn completely or is he more no. of a, or is he more no. of a, a hero <laughs> by circumstance just because he leads his own book and he tends to fight people that are worse than he does than he is. But no, because I think throughout most, I mean, even Wolf, when Wolfman was writing that series, like when he first got his first own solo book, as well as when he got, um, when Deathstroke was given like, you know, a new 52. And then, then when you get to the car, the, the Christopher priest stuff that we have like now or had now, yeah, he's still, you know, you know, sat, you know, basically assassin for hire, <laughs> you know, there's all the stuff with Tara <laughs> that, oh, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah sure. that stuff, that stuff is kind of hard to distance from, you know, heroes don't really do that sort of stuff where, sure. you know, they, they don't take a, they don't take out a 16 year old ward and, you know, cross that line with them. Right. And then, it, and then all the stuff going on with his kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, no matter what incarnation, he's a, he's a bastard to his, his family. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no other way to put, it. I mean, he's like priest really plays it up. Like every, I mean, he rose and, and, uh, um, Jericho, what's his name? Um, Joey. They're all, I mean, everybody's awful in that family and, and Slade is the worst of all of them to all of them, basically. Right. Ravager, so, Jericho. Yeah. 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 Ravager too. Yeah. 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 He, he's one of those, he's one of those characters that has, has a lot of charisma. He's very, has a lot of potential and everything like that. Like Frank, I mean, you and I have been talking for forever about like, why isn't he a justice league bad guy? Like, yeah. like this makes perfect sense in it, but it is also, it, it is in that, sense it's a little puzzling how often he gets to be the focal point of his own stuff especially lately since new 52 yeah well i think it's one of the things where i mean i think he's a fat I and mean, again you know that i always as much as i as much as i you know love marvel and I love dc I, I still always give it to dc for get the, the idea of pushing the idea of that they're much more comfortable with you know let's put somebody's moral morally ambiguous <laughs> in a lead role and see what happens right you know and he's one of those again another guy that has his own code and does his own thing but you know i mean he's a, i mean let's not argue he's not he's a supervillain. like he's not you know i think there's a i think there's also something from i think there's also something to be said of the fact that you know he that whole thing of he uses 100 percent of his brain i think it's a neat tagline for him but i don't think it's ever really been explored on what that actually means right you know i think yeah. that makes him, i think it's like wolf it's like the early like the early days of wolverine like well that what does that mean like what what could he do and no one I think that that level of, you know, when we see what he, you know, we've seen an origin for him, but we've never seen the full extent of what 100% of your brain could do. Right. You know, and I think that's one of those things where I, I think that's part of the allure of that character. And he's got a cool costume. It's one of the best costumes that Perez ever designed. I think. Yeah. So no, there's something cool about a hitman with a sword. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I, I have one that's outside of comics that I can't believe we haven't got to before now. Sure. Zuko. Yeah, no, he's on my list. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was I was I was compiling lists of stuff and I was like, well, you know, surely we're gonna talk about the amazing character that is Zuko. Yep. Yeah, Avatar, um, you know, I think that's all on our list. Yep. I Disclaimer. think we're just waiting to get to our animated shows and stuff. Yeah, if you haven't yeah. watched Avatar The Last Airbender, pause uh-huh. here. We'll wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come go back, back to us once, the, once you finish yeah, the three things. They're all on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. You can watch them now. They're all Netflix in HD now. I heard like mm-hmm. it's doing so well that they that they're playing them in HD. Oh yeah, it was only SD when they first got them. Yeah. I checked. Yeah, yeah. So go watch all that and come back, and then we'll yeah. we can, you can listen to the rest of the podcast. And we'll talk more about how great Zuko <laughs> yeah. is because we're about to spoil the crap out of Airbender. So, yeah. but yeah, I think I mean as as heel turns go, the fact that when they set him up in that beginning of that show and he is so face you know, turns. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry when he when he goes the other way. So. Yeah. um I think that when he's so like, he's straight the villain, you know, for that, for, for, for like most of that first season, you know, and, and you know full well that he, when you find out more about him, you find out that he's much more of a tragic character and there's more mm-hmm. to him. And the fact that, you know, they do such a good job of, of like, we need it, we need a fire teacher, you know, firebending teacher for Aang, you know, 
And that you have that moment. I mean, I remember having that moment in the back of my head. I'm like, well, maybe they could, but how did that work? And right. then they make it work. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the, the turn that that kid has in yeah. that show. Well, what's brilliant about it too is that, and it's, it's, I know it's a controversial moment among fans, but what I like about him is that there's a moment where, as the creators say, before he goes good, he goes worse. Yeah. First. Yeah. And then he goes good. And I like that. I like that there's a moment where he has he has a second that he can go good and he can do the right thing and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like he just, you know, he's it's it's his nature at that point to still just like to 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 be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and and to do and to do the wrong thing, to do the stupid thing. And I like that that character has to has to make amends for that stuff. Yeah, he had to yeah. hit rock bottom before yeah. making that turn. He had to go as far <laughs> as he could. Yeah. And yeah. it may be also like one of the best renditions of 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 the the cast of the show really begrudgingly accepting him. Sure. You know what I mean? When when Netflix first got it, you know, got the show, my wife was doing a rewatch, so I didn't watch it all with her, but I watched chunks of it. And I remember I got to see the episode where he's like trying to work out what am I gonna say to these people that I've been trying to capture and or kill <laughs> for seasons. <laughs> you know, he's like, Hi, I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that old yeah. bit is amazingly funny. Like he's trying to like he doesn't and the other the other thing is the fact that he's so the way he's raised in his background and stuff, he doesn't really have the inroads to just be like, hey, I'm gonna be, you know, when we see all the stuff that's happened to him. But no, I was gonna say the brilliance of that show is what's nice about that that rock bottom is it's it's almost it's it's internal rock bottom. Because yeah. at the end of the day, he achieves his goal. Yeah. Um. Everything that he fought to do in the first season, by the end of the second season, he does it, and he feels it's like sin because the person he doesn't for it doesn't care. Yeah. Everything that he does it for, it's it's meaningless. But what uh, what you were saying when he comes back to him, what's nice is the one person in that group who didn't see his full wrath on that level was his way in, mm-hmm. which was tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost it's it's I like how they told the story in which. There's no way he would have been brought to their doorstep without having a person who would arbitrarily look at what he's trying to be as opposed to what he did in the past. You know? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, but she doesn't, the other thing is that's interesting about it is the fact that she didn't have quite the same experience with him that the others do. Yeah. She wasn't there when he was at yeah. his worst. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. And I, and I like the idea that like his main motivation for the first season turns out like his quarrel's not with Ang at all. Mm, There's no. nothing to do with it. Like Ang is just an instrument to get this thing from his father yes. that he wants to get like his honor back. But like really, like Ang is kind of like just circumstantial. Yeah, he's a means yeah. to an end. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and I like the realization that it's just sort of like 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 I don't hate you. There's no you know like <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. Hmm. Like we could be friends otherwise if we. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, no, he's he's. He's a beautiful exploration of, of, you know, bad going worse, going to good. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, think, absolutely. I, I never really saw him as bad. He was just misled. And you can right. see that through his uncle, who basically knows his whole story and allows him to work out his issues without circumventing it, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I, I get that. But I do think he, he's very much played up as the bad guy early on. And I think I think this is. This is sort of how we're in the phenomenon that we're talking about. I think I think, you know, motivation for a bad guy is very, very important to to lend credibility to what they're doing, to make them interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff and everything. And I think over time, as you explore that. There is some sympathy sometimes that can. Come to the reader, to the audience member, right, as we're getting to know them and they're like, oh, OK, now I see why he's doing this. And he's not yeah. really all bad. Like th- this was an interesting thing that like this happened with Killmonger. I remember when, when black Panther came out where right. people looked at his motivation and what he was trying to achieve. And they're like, well, he's, he's not wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not wrong, but I hear, but there was a ton of like, I heard of like Killmonger's the hero of black Panther. I'm like, well, no, he's not. He's the bad guy. <laughs> right. He's still the bad guy, even though he's, he wants he's a something noble. <laughs> Yeah, right. He's sympathetic. 
Um, and you can certainly side with 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 that philosophy to a degree. He's still doing horrible things as a oh, means no. to an end. You know, no, but but let me say stepping back to Zuko real quick. To me, I I sort of felt that that's what they're doing. You especially get that with the episode, the Blue Spirit, and when she um does something. Well, he does the first case of his um face turn right there. Yeah. Right. You get you get that once you get that inkling, you know there's something more to the character than what they're yeah. presenting. But to me, with um, Killmonger, you know, just let's take away his name, if, if nothing right. else, as far <laughs> yeah. as how evil he is. He's a uh, there's a is a, a CIA spook or something. I forget what it's called the term, but he was just killing people on his way to the top. Yeah, I mean that's that's just. Uh, just uh, you know, to me, he turned villainous as soon as his father disappeared. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I I get it, but the when when people paint him being as a hero, no, yeah. he just is, he's it's just revenge. I'm with you. Yeah. No, I w- I never went with it. And, and yeah, with Zuko, I th- I think the important the important person to talk about when dealing with Zuko is is Iro, his uncle. Yes. Because yeah, I yeah. think I think Iro does a lot of lifting. Um to the audience from a storytelling perspective i i think i think the audience is 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 accepting of zuko and goes along with it right just because iroh appears to be the way he is right no i right? agree with that like iroh is like a such a beloved character right. that everybody is so invested in iroh and so won over by iroh and then they think well iroh likes this kid so he can't be all bad <laughs> yes i think is yes. how it works because well, yeah. Tommy said, I mean, Tommy said something that's important: the idea that Iroh is one that that basically allows him to play it out. Like you get that chance, the opportunity. Like we know that you know, like you said, there's he's there's something about this kid that we like. There's something that this kid that can work. We just have to let him work out his issues, and he's going to be okay, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the point that part that always gets me is that moment of, you know, Iroh saying to him, "Who you know, <laughs> what the thing to remember is, who are you, and what do you want out of life?" Yeah. Right. That part mm-hmm. gets me every single time I've ever watched it. It's just a moment of, you know, he's basically putting to Zuko like, no, you can do, you know, you, you're capable of figuring this out. You just have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice because when you look at Iroh, look at Iroh's entire run. He doesn't act against the Avatar. Right. Iroh knows what the Avatar is there for and mm-hmm. hopes he can accomplish his mission. He does this alongside Zuko. Yeah. Who is perceived to be as the villain, the worst villain in the first season? Yeah, yep. yeah. No, I, th- I think I think he's crucial to 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 the audience accepting Zuko at all. Uh, I- I'm so happy I get to say this in the wrestling business. They call that giving him the rub. <laughs> we'll have to we'll put Jeez. a glossary in the yeah, notes. That's when yeah. you have a wrestler who has something that they want to rub off onto another wrestler. So they put them together in a tag team, uh, right? Or okay. they put them with a manager or something like that. There's something that they want this person to rub off onto the other one. Right. So, yeah. So Iroh gave Zuko the rub. Oh, wrestling all over this episode. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, let's, let's try and get it in quick. Cause we also did, we did, we didn't bring it. Emma Frost. Yeah, she can, was on my list. Can we do Emma Frost quickly? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but that's no. Hers is tragic. She's just a jerk up until she loses everything, including all her kids that were up on her. That's when she makes yeah, the turn. That's when she makes the turn. Yeah, you have to lose, kill, have how, how many deaths had to had to die before she says, "Oh, I think I should be good now." Right. Well, I mean, my my thing with her was again, and I always think about that moment of in in Whedon's run and Josh Whedon's run of Astonishing, where you know, <laughs> the idea that you know Kitty says to her, and the, the, as they're getting dressed, you know, I'll never forgive you. I mean, you've been, you know, the fr- I met you for the first time when I was thirteen, and you tried to kill me. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget that. And again, that's that's the that's the character. That's both the funny thing about it is, you know, that's Uncanny X Men One Twenty Nine is their first, you know, their first joint appearance is the same issue. Right. So they'll always, yeah. in my mind, always be linked together. And the fact that she makes it abundantly clear as a reader, I'm like, oh, yeah, Emma's Emma's one that much like Mystique, like we can have her around. But I, I you know, even when they when they when Morrison pairs her up with Cyclops, I still that moment of like, well, you know, I get it, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if we should, you know, don't ever I wouldn't turn my back on Emma Frost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? 
you know, granted, you know, granted, she does, you know, she's playing along and there's points in 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 Morrison's room which has been important and she did important stuff and she helps out, but you know, for the long time, she basically, you know, she's around and she's a hero, but it's kind of like when I always feel like Emma's is with an asterisk. Yeah, no, I Morrison's run appeared to be a little bit like, like, is she manipulating him? Yeah. Right. Like, is she doing something to Cyclops to make him like into her? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it, there appears to be a little bit something more devious, uh, hinted at in Morrison's thing, whether or not like that's intentional or not. But I think I, I feel like it is. I feel like he's he's trying to to, to do that dance. Mm-hmm. But but Frank, you brought up astonishing. I think astonishing is kind of like the the one where like we're like somebody took the reins from Morrison and went like, no, this works. Let's go all the way. Like there's something to her as a good guy. I think I think Whedon's the one that basically, like I said, I know for a fact that Whedon said flat out in interviews. That he's like, no, Kitty Pryde is my favorite character. And as soon as he said that, I went you know, the bell went off for me. I'm like, well, surely you're going to play with the dynamic of the fact. I mean, I, I think the line that even when we, they talk about what Emma's going to be teaching at the school, and I think it's like ethics and Kitty's like, what are you talking about? She's going to teach ethics. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's the joke is like, no, she's, you know, it's just one of those things of, you know, I mean, but then again, you know, the, the X mansion had like with Rogue, and, and I think they even try it with like Sabretooth and Juggernaut. But again, to my mind, you know, you're never going to revamp, you're never going to rehabilitate Sabretooth. You know, you might be able to do it with Juggernaut, mm-hmm. but you know, there's kind of that thing of like we're because we're all mutants, we're willing to you know we're able to give you a shot at not being a bad guy, and it all you know in most cases it's not you know it doesn't always work out. I should right. say, yeah. So, all right, cool. So, all right, to wrap it up, then let's let's go into um do do we have an example of a character that we thought might go ahead and make the jump into the to becoming a good guy? That never did. I had one that was, it was, I mean, it was more along the lines of, it's not so much that they never did, but it was so fleeting that I wish it had stuck. Mm-hmm. And again, it's another Marvel one. Um, they had a, there was a time where um, Sandman was playing, <laughs> was, was on the side of, of like, like was playing hero, you know, was playing heroic. Mm. And it sort of like stems out of like a Marvel team up issue. Or I'm sorry, Marvel two in issue where basically the, he and the thing have a conversation and then basically he decides to like start to shift. And at one point it's even to the point where he's, um, he's working with silver sable. And then there's even like the idea of he might be an Avenger, which, which I thought the idea of like Sandman, this, this classic Spider-Man villain, like, you know, one of the first, you know, one of the classic, you know, first issues of like first 13 issues of of Spider-Man that we got, you know, one of those villains is going to be, is going to be a a hero is, is a pretty cool idea. Right, but mm. it, it 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 quickly devolves into like soap opera stuff where like I think he's mind controlled back into being a super villain as well. Yeah. They resolve it, <laughs> right? You know, I can remember someone putting like a, the beanie on his head, and they throw the switch, and then he's you know then he's right back to being a super villain, which I always hated because I thought right. you know because I thought like you know he's he's supposed to be like a second story guy, like a burglar. You know, he's not supposed to be. He's not a great thinker. He's not like you know he's just a guy that got really cool powers, right? Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought Sandman's abilities were always, always a really cool power set, and I always wanted that to stick. And for whatever reason, you know, Marvel said, "Nah, we got to have you know that we got to have him back on the side of being a bad guy." So for me, that's the one I always like have pangs of like, "Oh, what could have been?" Because I think he maybe he maybe have it like an issue or two of like where he's skirting the idea of being an Avenger. Hmm. Okay. Okay, I have one. He was gonna be Poison Ivy. Hmm. She's uh, um, Swamp Thing. Come on. Swamp yeah. Thing lo- loves the green as much as her. Well, except yeah. she's not killing people for it. Just wait. I think I think it's happening. I think I think you I think you may get your wish on this one. Oh, yeah. I thought during like not to cut you off. I thought like during birds like in like one of the birds of prey during New 52 had her like on a roster, I thought. I mean, it's not a suicide squad roster, right? It's just no, no, not- no, no. I mean, like, like she's in, like, there was a Birds of Prey team during New Fifty Two that I thought that was maybe like twelve or thirteen issues where she was full on, you know, being, being a, not, you know, not a superhero, but at least not, you know, not holding up Gotham City or whatever. <laughs> what's what is what is it? What's the park in in Gotham City? Um, Robinson Park. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would know. That's why yep. I asked. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, holding up, you know, turning Robinson Park into basically, you know, a, a place of, you know, awfulness. Little shop of horrors. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
but I think there is, but I, it's still like, I think the, 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 the inroad there is Harley Quinn. Yeah. And the fact that they, you know, they, they want to pair those two up and then on top of that have Harley sort of be doing more heroic stuff as she gets further and further away from the Joker. Now, uh, well, to me, I just see it as, um, something similar to what was introduced in Arkham Knight. Yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, and, and in that road, she had nothing to do with Harley on that level. I mean, yeah, they're starting to build those two characters together. But ultimately, the more I see her power set and what she does, uh, she's female Swamp Thing. Just make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I can see that. Now, the one I was thinking of was uh, going back to Frank's also a Spider-Man villain. And it's a thing where, like in comics, I feel like almost all villains have at least had a little bit of a face turn mm-hmm. at some point mm-hmm. in time. And this one sounds familiar. I just can't place it. And it's Craven the Hunter. Yeah. Because, be cool. like, Craven is such a fun character. Like, it's yeah. such an over the top, like, eccentric, weird little character to have in, as a Spider Man villain. Mm-hmm. But I just keep thinking, and I do think, has he ever hunted the lizard? That's a good question. Because um, I feel like it could have happened and I just can't place it, but it should happen. Definitely. I think yeah. there was, I, I want to say that that's a yes, but don't, you know, right. I, at, at one point I thought that the lizard had a, not a one chat, but a mini, but I could be wrong, but it sounds familiar, but it sounds right. like something that sh- like, you know, it sounds like the easiest put together in the world. <laughs> right. It's a natural thing. Yes. And then just thinking on that, like, there's one Spider-Man, but there's so many animal-themed villains <laughs> right, for right. him to just hunt down that uh, it would be a fun thing to see him to see him turn face and start cleaning up the animal-themed villains in New York. Yep, I can see that. Okay, so I was having a really, really hard time coming up with one, so I have a very strange one. Because mm-hmm. also, because he's kind of not even really a bad guy. But he's a he's a jerk of a good guy, and so I'm gonna go with uh, Colonel Ty from uh, Battlestar. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> the reason I bring him up, I mean, and, and, and you got you guys will co-sign on that, right? I mean, he's clearly a good guy, right? Sure. I mean, he's 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 not endangering humanity in any way, shape, or form. But the thing that I keep that ke- I kept rooting for that character to turn the page, and he kept letting me down every time. (laughs) And that was like, that was kind of the thing about him. Right. was like, he he just, he he couldn't help himself. Right. He was, he was always going to do harm to himself and kind of make the wrong decision when it came, when it came time to it. Right. When it really counted for, for in, in terms of, in terms of his health, his well being, Right. 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 You know what I mean? And so he was a victim of his vices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, Oh my God. Just like all the way to the end of that series. I'm just like, Oh, he's going to do it this time. He's going to do it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he's like, not going to oh. let us down. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, he let me down, you know? And then, but like he, I kept getting suckered in every time. Yeah. I'm like, maybe he'll yeah. do it this time. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, that's my weird choice. Colonel Ty. All right. So anyway, so, all right. Let us know what you guys think in the comments section. Which villains turned good guys do you love? Was there anybody we forgot? Uh, Also, don't forget to suggest the topic for the show while you're there. And you can find links and notes and examples to all the things that come up in conversation on letmenowhowitis.com, as well as all of our past episodes. There, you can also find a link to our YouTube channel as well. We'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe there as well. And finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash letmenowhowitis. And follow us on Twitter at our show's initials, L-M-K-H-I-I. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in a week.